Uh, I'll put my little plug in. I like the school. Um, I went to Heritage. I'm a Heritage grad. My wife is as well. My parents are. It was like half the people in this room probably are. So um, I really appreciate the ministry that Heritage has and how it's invested in myself. And um, there, you can go through life, right? And you can see the people that have impacted you the most. And uh, Heritage was one of those places for, for myself and I know my wife as well. But also one of those things that impacted me well was uh, last week we had an induction service uh, for me. Um, which was, you know what, I was really blessed. And I want to thank you very much for uh, welcoming myself and my family, how you honored my wife and my children. Um, my kids got Lego, and that was probably put together in, like, no time. Um, they went home, and I had to keep telling them, no, we have people over, stop doing that. Uh, so very, thank you very much for the gifts that you've given us and for making us feel welcome in that. So thank you very much. And I hope and pray that it was a blessing to you as well. My name is uh, Pastor Nate, and I'm one of the pastors. I'm the lead pastor here at Knollwood. And as we get into the Word of God, if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Galatians 3. And that's where we're going to be this morning. Continuing on in our series, we've had two weeks off. So everyone's like, yeah, two weeks off. Well, so don't worry, I'm back. And... <laughs> If you, if you didn't, yeah. So we'll be looking at Galatians 3, and we'll be taking a high view of Galatians 3. There's a lot that you can dive into in Galatians, and there's people who discuss a lot of things that come out of that chapter, but we're going to take a higher view of that. And as a quick reminder, we spent time going in Galatians 1 and 2. And in Galatians 1 and 2, Paul takes an agonizing long time and a good time describing what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. It's important for us as a church to understand this because we have to go out and, and preach the gospel to our neighbors, our co-workers, our, our classmates, wherever it may be. We have to go and proclaim the gospel. And we can't do that unless we know what the gospel is. So Paul takes time in Galatians 1 and 2 to do that. We see in verse 16 of chapter 2, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works, not by how good you are, but by who we rest in. One is saved. When people trust Jesus... What's true of what, who Jesus is becomes true of us, as Paul even continues on in verse 19. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave, myself, gave himself for me. So now, it's not based on what you do that gets you into heaven, not based on how many people you help cross the street or how often you serve in church or any of those things, is purely based on faith, resting, believing in what Christ has done for us on the cross. Now, that doesn't lead to loose living as Paul continues on. It doesn't give you an excuse because true faith comes... We grow in godliness. So what does this mean for us? 
Paul begins to break down in chapters 3 and 4 what this means for us. If we it's no longer based upon who you are, what you do, or any of those other things, what does this mean for us? And that's what Paul begins here in Galatians 3. So if you have your Bibles, if you please open them. And I will be reading to verse 25. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that this is, verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Spirit, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give in a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom this promise had been made. And it was put in place through the angels by an intermediary. Verse 21, is this law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for the chance we have to come and to continue to worship you through song, through the opening of your word, through giving. God, I pray that you would be indeed glorified. And God, I pray that, uh, I do want to pray, Lord, that, you, that I preach so that you are glorified. And I want to speak of you, and I want to praise you, and I want to praise your name. And God, there's no amount of talent that can do that outside of relying upon you. So Lord, by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with the necessary power and appropriate affection. Use this sermon, God, for your glory, the joy of your people, and the salvation of the lost. Amen. So Paul comes and he breaks down actually three promises, and we're going to get into those three promises. And the first one that Abraham, or the first one is about Abraham. The first one that Paul talks about is a promise with Abraham. I don't know about you, but I don't like making promises. I don't. Um, every time, it's really so that when my kids come and say, you promised, I can say, no, I didn't. Uh, I did not promise. Uh, really because I also want to make sure that that word is kind of held in a high regard. Because God comes in the Bible and he uses the word promise. He uses the word covenant. It's a promise. And I am a human being. And I can't always fulfill my promises. So I try not to use that word. Even the other day, someone came up to me and said, hey, can, I, can you do a favor for me? And I went, uh, that depends. Tell me what the favor is first, and I'll see if I can do it. But here we see about God's promise with Abraham. And as, and as, as Paul begins to break out to us, the promise stands true. It doesn't go away. Regardless of whatever happens, God promises always stay true. So God's promises show us the necessity of faith. We see this in the first five verses. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You can see the agony that's coming out in this letter. And in and, and, and the Greek, that oh adds a strong emotion to what is about to be said. And essentially you can say, oh foolish Galatians, you can interpret it in this. Don't fire me for saying this. It's like Paul is saying, oh, you idiots, how could you be so idiotic? That is what he's saying. He's so strong, he's so bewildered, he doesn't understand why this is happening to the point that he comes along and he says, who has bewitched you? Has someone cast a spell on you? Because this doesn't make any sense. How could you be so idiotic? And you laugh at it, right? But if the word of God is as true as it is today, as it was then, how many times have you ever heard a pastor come up and say that to you? I know a lot of guys would probably get scolded after, Pastor, we're not idiots. Here's Paul, the Galatians pastor, just dumbfounded. Oh, foolish Galatians, how could you be so foolish? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. We see in 1 Corinthians that Paul's goal, his only goal, was to preach Christ and preach him crucified. He clearly said that to the, the Galatians. This is what the gospel is. You have sinned against the holy God. Oh, see that? I know. Almost did it. You have sinned against the holy God. 
Your due right punishment is hell. No matter what you do, no matter how good you are, that is where you are. It is only by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that you can be saved. And that's what Paul's saying here. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this, he continues on. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let's go back to the very beginning. Did you hear it by faith or did you do something to receive that blessing? It's a rhetorical question, obviously. Paul's pointing out to them, obviously, you didn't do anything. And then he begins to break out God's promise with Abraham. The Galatians needed to see that they received the Spirit by faith and not by works of the law. So Paul gives off five rapid questions here. But verse 2 really sums it up. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The Galatians need to see that they receive the Spirit by faith and not by works. That's what Paul is... Can you just imagine this? You remember back to our first, the first time we started talking about Galatians 1, he's like pacing up and down this, this aisle, and he's just, he can't believe what's happening. I clearly preached the gospel to you. How could you be reverting back to this? How can you be going back? So Paul comes, and he introduces to us Abraham. Essentially, he goes off and he says, well, if you guys are going to go back to the law, if you're going to go back to what you think Abraham talks about, we're going to bring up the big guns. Let's talk about Abraham. Let's give a biblical breakdown as to who Abraham was and how he received the blessings that he got. And he's going to prove a point that even Abraham himself did not receive God's promises based on his works, but based purely upon the grace of God. So he comes and he quotes Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, so God changed Abram's name to Abraham, okay? Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. There's a lot of blessed in that sentence. See, God promises to bless Abraham. And you need to keep in mind, Abraham did not deserve this. It's a, it's a popular thought that at this moment, Abraham's worshiping one of his many gods, that Abraham was actually a pagan. He was living his life in complete darkness. God comes and interrupts that. He comes into his life, an undeserving man's life, and says, I will bless you. Abraham did nothing to deserve it. He was doing nothing to deserve it. And God comes down and changes everything. Abraham doesn't make a promise with God. God makes a promise with Abraham. Abraham's story reminds us 
that by grace alone, God's, God blesses his people. Even in the narrative, in the story, and you can read it more yourself in Genesis 12, God is making a covenant. He is making a promise with Abraham while Abraham is sleeping. He's sleeping. There's no part of this that he is doing. God extends his grace to Abraham. This grace is expressed in these radical promises. And Abraham's offspring will be as numerous as the stars are in the sky. Abraham was a senior citizen. His wife was a senior citizen. And they had no kids. Okay? Think about this. I'm looking at the senior citizens here. (laughs) What will be going through your mind? You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, right. Do you understand the radical feeling this is? This is a radical promise that could only be accomplished through Christ alone, through what God would do alone. There's no part of this that Abraham could fulfill. The promise wasn't about Abraham and Sarah. It was about God, his grace, and his promise. And that's what Paul is breaking down for us. Oh, Galatians, how could you be so stupid? Even Abraham was saved by faith. Not by works. How did Abraham receive this blessing? He believed it. He heard God's voice. And he said, all right. He got up, packed up his family, packed up his wife of like 70 odd years, put them all on camels and moved to this weird place called Canaan. He believed it. He believed God's promises. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Grace is not earned. Abraham simply believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, as the verse says. He didn't do anything. He believed something. Better yet, he believed someone. That's how we enter into eternal life with God with Christ imagine this you got a wealthy friend we all got that rich friend right but this one's like super rich and he's, he's got a house in the Bahamas Barbados let's do Barbados because it's a nicer beach I think I've been told and he comes up to you and he says hey I have a house for you it's yours it's in, in Barbados I put your name on it. For me, it would say Clausen Mansion. No, no, Clausen Castle, because you could do the KK. Clausen Castle. And people, and, and, and the wealthy man comes, and there's no payment, and there's no strings attached, and you can use it whenever you want. It is yours. And we all go, sweet. It's not only that you don't have to do anything to receive that promise. You can't do anything to help fulfill the wealthy man's ability to fill it, right? He's richer than you are. The only thing you can do is trust the promise, namely that when you go to Barbados, there will be a house with your name on it. 
That's what Abraham does with God. He believes. This is what Abraham was doing. He was trusting in God, knowing that he will keep his promises. And here's the thing that boggles my mind. If God reached down into Abraham's life, and if we make the assumption that Abraham had no solid foundation as to who Yahweh is, who God is, that means he was completely stepping out in faith. Yet here you and I are with the inerrant and fallible word of God. And we struggle with doing simple things. Like being obedient and going out to make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see the promises of God here. We know that they happened. Yet we still struggle to have faith in the promises of God. But here's Abraham with all his faults. Now, he, we could talk about him all day long. And Hebrews 11 is still counted to him as faith. So Paul comes along. He reminds us of who this is. Faith. It's faith alone. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Believe God and it counted. It will be credited to your, your righteousness. You say, that's all? Yeah, that's it. But doesn't that lead to loose living? The Bible talks about that too. What happened after Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness? In Genesis 15, verse 6, he gets up and he goes. It becomes a radical obedience. Paul is pointing out to us that Abraham's faith is expressed in also a radical obedience to what God has called us to do. If you call yourself a Christian, your life shows it. Doesn't mean you get it right. Because God knows I don't. But it means you have a radical obedience. We often don't like live radical lives because we don't have faith. People who are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, don't sit back and indulge in sin and the ways of everyone around them. Why? Because they believe God and his promises. They're not only saved by grace through faith, but they also live by grace through faith. And they risk everything because they know that God is good and he is sufficient and that he satisfies all things. Abraham knew that he was just a foreigner and temporary resident on earth. And he was seeking a homeland. And God was not ashamed to be called their God, as Hebrews 11 verse 13 says. Righteousness only comes by faith in Christ. And that frees us. God promise, God's promise with Abraham shows us the need to have faith. And God is a promise-keeping God. Paul moves on to God's promises to Abraham, but and he begins to show us that it doesn't contradict the law either. The law of Moses, we call that the, the, the Ten Commandments and all the other ones that are there. 
See, God's promise with Moses. When we look at the promises God made with Moses, we need to understand the purpose of the law. This helps us really understand and see that they don't contradict themselves. If it, the promise to Abraham shows us that we, it is by faith we are saved, that we can experience the blessings of God, that we can have the Spirit indwelling in us, God's law shows us the futility of our flesh and how desperately we need God's grace. Paul is talking about the law of Moses, the moral, ceremonial, and civil laws, not the whole Bible. But we see in verse 10 here, For all who rely on works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So what can the law do? Can't bring life. Can't bring salvation. Did you know that? You can't be the best Boy Scout or cookie guy. What are they cookie people? Girl guy. You can't, yeah. I'm like cookies. Who are the cookie people? You can't be the best girl guides or the Boy Scout in the whole world and have all the badges. That still doesn't get you into heaven. That's what Paul is talking about here as he begins to show us what the law is. As verse 1 says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. If the law can't save you, if it can't give you life, what is it for then, you might ask? Verse 19 says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. The law was given to show us how bad we are. You ever think about that? Because as Jesus is talking to, in, in Matthew, as he's talking to the rich young ruler, and, and, and the ruler asks Jesus, well, how, how do I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus replies with, well, follow the law. Do it. And then Jesus says, then sell everything. See, there exposes his true heart. What he was resting in. What he loved more than following God. He loved his money. And then we see in the story, the rich young ruler turns around and he walks away. The law exposes our sin. So Paul is quoting all the way back to the Old Testament saying that the law demands obedience, not just little type obedience, but perfect obedience. The law is a bright, shining light on us that points out in the most amazing way that I am not perfect. That's the purpose of the law. Go through it. Go through the Ten Commandments. Ask yourself, how are you doing with that? And then you get to, uh, you shall not murder. And everyone's like, well, I haven't killed anyone. You ever wish someone wasn't there? That's what that means. Ever wanted something that you really shouldn't have? That's called coveting. Men, women, 
ever thought of someone more attractive than your spouse? That's called idolatry. Guilty. And that's what the law does. It shines a bright, amazingly bright, shining light in our sins, on our lives. The law doesn't make us sinners. It exposes what's already there. Think about kids. We got, I got three kids. And I would say that they're pretty good. And most people do. We have a babysitter here in the crowd right now who says they're probably the best kids they've ever babysat. No lie. That's what they said. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> but think about kids. If you're a youth leader or work in children's ministry here at Knollwood, whatever it may be. And you ask them to do something. And they generally almost always say, Pam, you're like, you, kids are like your thing, right? And ask them to do something. And they say no. Which happens like at least 50% of the time. I might be being generous. See, the command brings the disobedient heart to surface. You ever think about that? The disobedient heart is already there. You didn't have to teach your kid to say no. That's like the first word they learn. No. It's just exposing the command, asking them to do something. It's just exposing what is already in their heart. That is what the Ten Commandments is doing. It's, all, it's exposing who we are before a holy God. That we are in desperate need of being saved and that we cannot do it on our own. That we cannot get the promises and the blessings that God promised Abraham on our own. That we're out there. The two promises complement each other. One shows us that it is only by faith that we are saved and the other shows us that we are in desperate need of being saved. That's the result of sin. That's the result of our disobedience. We deserve the wrath of God. It's not good to be confronted by sin in the presence of a holy God. A God who has no sin and is wholly dead set against it why the gospel is so offensive and when we put the Ten Commandments in perspective it shows the grace of God he's not being mean he's showing us how desperately we, we, how desperately we need to be saved and we need to be saved it's not just a bunch of rules it is rules but also think of it as a way of exposing God's grace to us. Because how do I know if I need to be saved if I don't know if I need to be saved? Have you ever thought about that when you're going out and you're telling someone about the gospel of Jesus Christ to your co-workers, classmates, wherever it may be? How often, and I'm guilty of this too, how often do we just get to the good stuff? Hey, you got to meet this guy named Jesus. He's, he's great. You know, and, and if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know, 
you could be with Jesus. And just leave it at that. Now let me ask you this. If I'm thinking life is going pretty good right now, why in the world would I want to subjectify my why would I want to submit myself to authority? If I don't see how desperately I need him. See, when I now put the Ten Commandments into perspective and I say they're there to expose my sin, my gospel presentation even begins to change. Look, Tyler. We'll talk about that later. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we got to talk, man. Let me go through this list for you. Ever curse God? Ever lusted? Have you ever wanted something that's not yours? Wanted another man's wife? Wanted, I'm switching gears now to woman. Wanted another wife's husband? You're toast, literally. You need to be saved. You cannot save yourself. You need Jesus Christ. So that's why Paul comes and he opens up this section. He's like, oh, foolish Galatians, you, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It is the only way. We need grace because we stand cursed beneath the law. The magnitude of this statement should come across to us as an announcement has been made that a hundred nuclear warheads are coming barreling down on our country. What are you going to do about it? The law shows we stand condemned before God. And what does sin deserve? Every sin deserves God's wrath. Both in life and what is to come. So if you are going to stand before God based on how you are doing, the law really shows you how you are doing. And you're not doing well. The more I try to obey it, the more you go to church, the more you try to pray, the more you try to be good, the more you try to lead your family the right way, the more the law says guilty. So how are you feeling? Helpless? That's the point. Don't you see that? That's why God gave us the law, to show us that we can't get it right, and that's why we need the law. We are desperately in need of a Savior to deliver us from the curse and condemnation and the wrath that is due our disobedience. There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. So God's promise is are fulfilled through Christ. That's what that last blank is. By Jesus' death on the cross, God's Son shows us the price of freedom. Everything in the Old Testament was building to this reality. Did you catch verse 19? Because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. So who is this offspring? Verse 16 says it's Jesus Christ. The law was temporary. 
And Jesus obeyed the law for God for us so that when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone, God looks at me through his righteousness and not my messed up life. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, as verse 13 and 14 says. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. How do we respond to such good news? This magnificent but statement that happens. Rock of Ages is a great song to be singing right now. The law drives us to our face. And when we're there, that's when God shows us his grace. Jesus takes the curse of the law upon himself if we believe in his promise. To believing and trusting in Jesus Christ, we become children of Abraham, the people of God. Abraham was justified by faith in the promise of God. And that promise, ever since the beginning, pointed to Christ. So Christ's complete faithfulness and obedience is counted to us, and we receive the blessing of Abraham as children of God when we place our trust in him. So here's the main point I want you to get. The Bible shows that God is a promise-keeping God, and his promises are fulfilled in Christ. So the first thing is this. There's a prevailing thought out there. A very popular pastor. He's actually quite in some deep water right now. He talks about unhitching the Old Testament from the Bible. That you don't need it. Oh my goodness. If I do that, I don't see who God really is. I don't see his grace and his mercy, his holiness, his justice, his wrath, any of the other things. And the same God that's in the Old Testament is the same God that's in the New Testament. Another thing is this, it's better to be confronted with the holiness of God on this side of the grave than on the other side of the grave. Because on this side, even if you haven't put your trust and your faith in Christ, you still have hope. And when you're dead, you're dead. And you stand before God in Christ's righteousness or your own. But it also, think about this. The God of the Bible is a promise-keeping God. And when I read the promises, I know he'll keep them. I know he will hold me fast. As the great hymn says, he will hold me fast. This should, this should come out in our worship, in our serving, in our interactions, as we are sent out, because there is good news. And it is so good. And that's what Paul wants us to see. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The Bible shows that God is a promise-keeping God. And his promises are fulfilled in Christ, in Christ alone.
Let's stand and continue to worship him.